We're looking at Matthew 15. And last week we looked at the first 20 verses that deal with heart change and how God calls us to have a focus on the heart change and the internal spirit instead of focusing on the external and focusing on His Word and our purity and not just our appearance and our tradition. And it's been an interesting week. You know, I I shared with you guys about two weeks ago, I was at a point where I just wanted to punt. I was really struggling. (laughs) And um, heart change comes as we become more dependent on God and we realize we need Him and we invite Him in to take more ownership in our life. A lot of times heart change comes through failure. It comes through pain. God is really, really faithful to make sure that if you're His kid, He is going to conform you to the image of Christ. He will do whatever it takes to get into your heart and to begin to affect that heart change. And I I just am very grateful that we can pray to a God who is all-knowing, all-powerful. And so often in life, we think God doesn't care about the details, the small details, the little details. And He does. And He will not let us get away with not trusting. He will not let us get away with not having faith. That's really what it's about. This passage we're looking at today is really about a faith that is great. This woman, at the beginning of the passage, is a Syrophoenician woman, a Canaanite according to Matthew, and Jesus says that her faith is great. Would you not like that to be said about you? Would you not like the king of the universe, your master, your savior, to say, Ronnie has a great faith. Chuck has a great faith. Dave has a great faith. Wouldn't that be awesome? to have our King affirm that our faith is great because we know that's what's really important. Ronnie, it's not how many messages you preach. It's not even how many people you tell about Jesus. It's the faith that God really desires in us because that faith shows a dependence, a trust, and a reality of us looking at Him as our Father. When we, when we exercise faith. So he wants a faith that is great. And there's three stories told here, and, and they all are connected, even though they occur geographically in different places. But Matthew is writing about them to, to send a message to the readers that God not only wants the Jewish people to have faith, but He wants the Gentile people to have faith. And that's the whole purpose of what we're seeing in this passage. There's three stories told about one place that's uh, right on the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea in the area of Tyre and Sidon. And then the other two stories take place in the Decapolis, which is on the southeastern part of the Sea of Galilee. We've been there. Chuck's been there. Brad's been there. Amos has been there. Maybe you've been there. If you, did, you didn't go with us, you've been there. If you go over there, you're going to go to the Decapolis area. When you go to Caesarea Philippi, it's in the Decapolis area. It is a Gentile area. And so, the, the purpose of what Matthew is trying to get across to the readers is God did the same thing for the, uh, the Gentiles that as He did for the Jews to show that they are equally as important in what's going on. 
because the Gentiles were always seen as defiled, pagans, people who were not supposed to be associated with. Go back and look in the book of Ezra. In the book of Ezra, they were told, if you've married somebody not of this people, you were to get rid of them. And one guy didn't. He was in there copulating and somebody put a spear through him. That's how serious it was. But you got to remember, back in that day, the reason was because they were pagan worshipers. But something had begun to happen. People had begun to hear about this God of Israel and other people outside of the people of Israel began to start having faith. Rahab and others. Even though they weren't Jewish, they were people of faith. And so this is a story of a Canaanite woman who calls Jesus the son of David. And then we see Jesus going back to Decapolis, healing people who then glorify God. And then we see Jesus feeding 4,000 people. So when you look at this, understanding the context of what Matthew's getting across, it's really important for us to understand that he is communicating God welcomes in these people, so the Jewish people should too. Remember, who primarily is Jesus teaching right now? His disciples. Did they have a problem with Gentiles? Even after Jesus had told them? Even after Jesus said all food is, un- is clean? Did Peter still struggle with that? Yeah, he did. And, and we still struggle with the same issues after we've been instructed too. So he's reinforcing that. Well, and Matthew's writing it because he wants the people to know that God wants them to be part of the family of God too. And he wants us to embrace them, but he also wants us to see examples of faith. And so we're going to read this passage and we're going to come back and look at these three things that God desires. First of all, He desires a faith that is great. Second, He desires a faith that is compassionate. And third, He, devi- he, he desires a faith that is limitless. You know what that means to have a limitless faith? It means that when something is on the horizon for you, doesn't matter what it is, you know that the God that you serve and who is your father is not limited by anything here on earth which is all we can see we can't see beyond this but he is unlimited in any capacity to deal with any problem you have any situation you have so nothing is outside the bounds of that but the issue for us is do we really believe that and do we act like that So God desires a faith that is great, a faith that is compassionate, and a faith that is limitless. And we're going to look at these three illustrations that Matthew gives us, starting in verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. Have you ever felt like that? You're crying out to God? Nothing. You cry out, you ask for help, and nothing. How come it always works for Ronnie, but it doesn't work for me? 
How come, how come Christopher can cry out to God and his prayers get answered? Why is God not hear me? I mean, is there sin in my life? Is there something going on? Because that's what sometimes you're told. Do you have something unconfessed in your life? And we know that from Scripture. They, the elders came to them and, and they were told to anoint them, but when people were sick and they couldn't be healed, maybe there was an unconfessed sin. But sometimes it's just because God's drawing out our faith. Like in this case, it says, He didn't say a word, and His disciples came and they begged Him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and then knelt before Him, saying, Lord, help me. And He answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs and fall that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee and he went up on the mountain and he sat down there and great crowds came to him. Now see, one place he's over in Tyre and Sidon over on the coast where you're going to be, Ronnie, in about two months. Right there on the coast near Caesarea Maritime up in the Tyre Sidon area. And now he's going back to the southeast part of the Sea of Galilee in the Decapolis. And great crowds came to him bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and they put them at his feet, and he healed them. Now, what you got to understand about this area is it is a Greek area. The, these people work, worship Zeus, um, Diana. They worshiped um, all the, the Greek gods. That, that was what their worship entailed. They, they didn't have the history of the Jewish people. They didn't have the scriptures. All they had was the, the folklore of Greek mythology passed down. And so they prayed and they didn't have Moses and the Ten Commandments. They didn't have the plagues that God brought on Egypt as part of their history that had been passed down from family to family who actually witnessed these things. They just worshipped these Greek gods and they had heard about Jesus. They had heard that there was a man who was going around healing people. And when he came, they started bringing people to him. And he healed them. He made limbs grow where there was no limb. He made people that could not talk be able to talk. People that couldn't hear, they could hear. People that couldn't see, could see. For people who have been blind to be able to see, he has to create the eye again. And so when they saw that, they had never seen anything like that. And we're going to see what they did and what they said in just a second. It says the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. That tells you that they're Gentiles because they would not have referred to them as the God of Israel in that way. 
the way the context of the way they say that there that's referring to somebody else's god not their god the god of israel then jesus called his disciples to him and he said i have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. That word faint there means literally to, to just collapse out. It's like when, the, the word means like actually when you take a, a bow, like a bow and arrow bow, a string, when you take the string off when it just falls to the ground. And Jesus was concerned. They'd been there three days and hadn't eaten. And they're in a desolate place, it says desolate there's no cities around no big cities and it says he has compassion on them and the disciples said to him were we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd now you just got to scratch your head at this because just a few months earlier you know what happened he fed 5,000 people I have a hard time believing that the, 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 the disciples are so dense. I really do. I, I, in fact, I, what I almost wonder is if because of the response of the crowd the first time was negative in the sense that they all wanted to make Him king and Jesus didn't want that, and the disciples knew that, that what they were saying is, we don't have enough places to go get food here to feed them how are we going to do it? Unless you do the miracle again and you do that, it didn't work out. That's the only thing I can be thinking because they've seen Him provide and provide and provide. But even that question still begs their faith is just still not what it should be. And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few small, a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit on the ground, and that ground means like hard ground. There's no grass. First time, 5,000, it says grass. And, and Mark, it says green grass, which would indicate springtime. This is hard ground, which would indicate, indicate late summer, about the time it had been about late summer. So there's no grass. Because the reason that's important is because some people say, well, these are really the same story just retold. And it's not. There's too many differences in the story. This is one of them. Springtime into um, summer, hard ground, green grass. And it says, He took the loaves, the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, which was the habit. This is, this is you know, this is why we give thanks over our food. Because that's what Jesus did. It says, He gave thanks... He broke the bread and He gave them to the disciples. And then He let the disciples give it to the people. And they, ate, they all ate and I love this, and they were satisfied. They were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending them away, away the crowds, he got in the boat and went to the region of Magadan or Magdala. It's known as both, Magadan or Magdala. You know Mary Magdalene? That's where she came from, that place. So that's where Jesus went. So those are the three stories. 
Let's go back to the first one. When Jesus went to the area of Tyre and Sidon, He went to get away. We know that from Mark chapter 7. If you go look at Mark 7, it says He was trying to get away. What was going on is the Jewish leaders were trying to entrap Him. They were already um, trying to formulate a way to destroy Him. And it wasn't time for Him to be destroyed yet. And so He took His disciples and He was going back to this area, this Gentile area, because guess who wouldn't be in the Gentile area? Yeah, the, the religious leaders are not going to go there. It's Tyre and Sidon. So he goes there. But here's what's interesting. Remember back to when we taught uh, when he cursed Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum? Remember what he said? If Tyre and Sidon had had the information you have, they would have repented long ago. Remember that? He knew that their hearts, there were people there that if they had the information would repent. And guess what? There is a lady there who is repentant. There's a lady there broken. There's a lady there that calls him Jesus, son of David, Lord. And so what does he do? He goes 30 to 50 miles. We don't know exactly where Tyre and Sidon, uh, one, the southern city is about 30 miles away from where he was and the northern one's about 50. So he goes to somewhere in that region to this lady and as he goes there, this lady starts crying out to him and his disciple. He didn't say anything. And he's not saying anything to be mean. Everything Jesus did was intentional. Everything he did had purpose. He doesn't say a word. The disciples are like, she's going to give away our position. She's going to ruin our little retreat that we were having planned here. And what happens is, Jesus goes, listen, you know, I'm sent to the lost sheep of Israel. That plan is unfolding the way I want it to unfold. This lady won't, you know, her, she's not going to make anything more difficult for us. I'm in control. And so the lady, he tells the lady that I can't take what the bread, who's the bread? He's the bread, right? I can't take the bread that's meant for them first and give it to other people. And see, guys, I really think that he didn't say that for the woman. I think he's trying to communicate to his disciples. Remember just back in chapter 10, he was telling them, go first to the lost sheep of Israel. Go first to them. They have the scriptures. They have the knowledge. And this is a stark contrast because you've got this pagan Gentile woman who's calling him son of David, Messiah, basically, and you've got the religious leaders who have all the scriptures, all the history, who've rejected him. And so he says, I can't take the bread and give it there. And she says, yeah, but Lord, even the dogs need the crumbs. They're going to eat the crumbs from the master's table. In other words, this woman is not put off by that. And I love that because in this you see characteristics of a great faith. You want a great faith? Ask God to give you these characteristics in your heart. Ask Him for a changed heart and then ask Him for these. The first is humility and not easily offended. We live in a culture that builds up a defense in us that when somebody says something to us that would be offensive, we take offense right away. 
Now you think about it. You go up and you ask a pastor to help you with a need. And he goes, I can't help you. I can't help you. You're not a member of my church. I have a primary responsibility in my church. Your first response is to go back to that guy and say, well, what kind of Christian are you? Instead of having a faith and saying, but I really need help and continuing to press on like this lady did. You see, this lady was given an offensive statement, but she didn't take offense at it. Instead, what she did, she was so humble that she said, you're right, I know I'm not part of the people. But it doesn't matter. I still want you to help me. I'm asking you. She was humble and not easily offended. Second characteristic is trusting God to do what is right. In other words, you trust His character. You want a great faith? When you go through hard times, and you've been through them, haven't you? We all have. When you go through hard times, you don't discount God and say, He doesn't know what He's doing. He doesn't, He's messed up on this. He doesn't care about me. He cares deeply about you. And a great faith says that when I can't see His hands, I trust His heart. When I can't see Him moving, I trust His character. And I trust that He's my dad and I love Him. Do we have a problem with that? It's so ingrained in us. And it's a control issue for us. It's a control issue. And God will continually surface it. He continually surfaces it. Then he, a, a repentant heart is a third characteristic. Yeah. So when I was reading this passage, uh, I was really taken back uh, by the fact that Jesus insults this woman, calls her a dog. That could be a mistranslation. No, it's, it's really, the word there is almost like a puppy. Jesus, like with the blind man when he's crying out, Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. And they say, shh, he doesn't have time for you, pretty much. And so, don't miss out on her repentant heart, though. She was a pagan worshiper from a pagan country. But when she comes to Jesus, she comes acknowledging he's Messiah, son of David. She says, have mercy on me. The heart is repentant. She's got a repentant heart, and that's a mark of a great faith. First Thess 1 Thess 1.9 says, Paul's talking and he says, these were people who turned from their idols to God, and that's what she does here. She's turning to God because her countrymen, they didn't follow God, but she wants to. Acts 20.21, 20, Paul says, you repent from this to God, and that's where she's, she's coming to God to say, I, I want you to help me. I want your mercy in my life. And the fourth thing is a, a great faith is persistent. It's persistent in prayer. She kept coming back even though he said, hey, I didn't say anything. He didn't say anything and she keeps coming back. Then he says, I wasn't sent to you first. In, math, in Mark's account, it says, I wasn't sent first to them. 
But in this it says, I was, I was sent only to the house of Israel. But what he was saying is, first the people of Israel, because listen, the, the where Israel messed up is Israel thought they were just the only ones chosen. And that wasn't the case. Israel was to be the first because they were to be the conduit for God's blessing the rest of the world. And they didn't understand that. But don't miss her persistence there. Persistence in prayer. And then finally, the ultimate desire is to worship and glorify God. Somebody who has a great faith displays humility and is not easily offended. They trust God to do what's right. They have a repentant heart. They have a persistent prayer life. And they ultimately want to worship God. That was that woman. And so Jesus says, your daughter's healed. You know, have what you want. When, when you have a great faith, ask and it will be given. Knock and it will be open. Because when you have a great faith, you're in communion with God and your heart is bent toward Him. And that's what He wants. And so when you ask, you're asking along the, wills of, along the will of God. Well, he goes on in, in the second story to talk about all these healings. And what don't miss the comparison here. In Gennesaret, he did this with Jews. He healed a bunch of people, and then he fed 5,000 people. Now imagine he did that for the Jews, but all the Gentile Christians after Christ was crucified had, because he does this with the Gentiles as well, the same pattern. He heals a bunch of people. He feeds 4,000. That means he puts them on equal footing. He's saying, hey, the same thing happened with them as happened with us. Remember, they actually said that. What Peter said about the Holy Spirit coming down. Remember at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down. They spoke in tongues. Then the Gentiles, after Acts chapter 10, came to Christ through Cornelius. And what happened? The Holy Spirit came down, they spoke in tongues, and Peter testifying when they had the council said, hey, the same thing that happened to them happened to us. And so we see that here. He is going and he's healing all these people in this Gentile area, and then he feeds 4,000 Gentile men and their families. And, and just to go back to this uh, healing thing real quick, in this you see his mercy and his compassion. God is so compassionate. He is so compassionate. He goes in there to this Gentile pagan area. These people worshiped idols. These people worshiped all these different gods. But he had his kids interspersed in between there. And so when he goes there, he starts healing people because he's a compassionate God. And he desires a faith in us that's compassionate. Gentiles had no hope, guys. Do you understand? They had no hope. Eternity without love. Eternity full of wrath. No hope. We know from Matthew 9 and Matthew 14, it says that He was compassionate and Jesus was compassionate because God's compassionate. And Jesus is God. And so when He looked on these people, when they brought Him, He healed instantly. These were not psychosomatic illnesses. He made limbs grow. He made eyes that couldn't see be recreated to where they could see. Tongues grew where they could talk. They were mute. He did all these miracles. There's a passage in Ephesians 4 
I'm sorry, Ephesians 2, where Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus, which was a lot like this area. And in Ephesians 2, verse 11, he says, He was making a statement like, You're a pagan worshiper. Compared to my children, all right, the, you remember what uh, dogs, remember back in Matthew chapter 7, where it says, uh, like a, they, they, he referred to people like dogs and pigs. Like, remember dogs and hogs? Remember that? The dogs returned to their vomit. He, the, the reason the, the term dog was used is because dogs are driven by what? Well, food, hunger, and what? They're just, they're, 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 just they're, they're reactive. They don't think. They just really go for whatever is good for them, what they want. They don't care about anybody but themselves. And that was indicative of all the pagan cultures. The pagan cultures lived for pleasure. They didn't live for God and His glory. And so to, to call them a dog uh, was just to refer to somebody who really had no... They, they weren't children of God. They weren't... I know it's hard for us to grasp <laughs> in our culture. It's not a politically correct term. We wouldn't say that. But, 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 but the thing is, when Jesus said that, that, that's the whole point of the first characteristic. She didn't take offense at that. She agreed and said, even the dogs eat crumbs. And that's what I'm saying is that we are too often offended by what people say to assert our rights to say, but I'm not a dog. Why'd you call me a dog? And she didn't go there. And the reason she didn't go there because she had such a great faith in him and and, and, and understanding of who he was that she wanted him, even though she was a dog, to love her like a child. And he did. He did. Do you think part of what he did uh, in his comments to her was a teaching lesson to the disciples. Oh, I absolutely do. Yeah, that's what I was saying a while ago. I think he's instructing and modeling for them. Because listen, go back to um, what we just... And remember, this is part of Matthew's progression as he's teaching, right? So he just talked about what defilement is and what it's not. It's the heart. It's not the exterior. It's the heart. It's not what country you come from. And so now Matthew's laying out three examples of Jesus dealing with Gentiles because the Gentiles were seen as unclean. That's why they had to ceremonial wash their hands because they had been around Gentiles. And so he's saying, listen, God's love goes to these people too. And so it's it's very much instructive, not only to them, but to us, to not just look at the exterior, but to look at the interior. They, the disciples weren't seeing this person's heart. They, they weren't compassionate toward her. They're like, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, the reason God went to them is because they, they had no hope. Do you know people that don't know Christ? Do you know people in your life that have, they, they don't have an understanding of Christ? 
no relationship with God, they're not hope-filled people. All the stuff that we're seeing going on in our culture right now, all the vitriol, all the hatred, all that stuff, people, their hope is based in this world. That's why they're panicked about everything on both sides. doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat. Their hope is in this world. And, and, and instead of caring about people, all they care about is their power, their control. That's the way these Gentiles live. And Jesus says, I'm going to give them hope. And He goes, and what does He do? He starts healing people. And I mean, I'm telling you, they were going, they were going, wow, this is a God of Israel. They glorified him. And the, the 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 essence of what they were doing there was not just praising him, but they had this fearful awe. This 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 whoa. I mean, when you see somebody that can do that, it kind of makes you step back. But you got to remember. The disciples didn't have this. The disciples were not very compassionate. You know how you know? Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. <coughs> Jesus, Son of David, have mercy. Shh! can't be bothered. They're not caring about people. They're caring about themselves. Well, Jesus was with me on the mountain. No, I'm more powerful because He used me to feed these people over here cared about themselves and and what God desires is a compassionate faith a faith that is not only great in in magnitude but a faith that is compassionate toward people because if your faith Paul says what you can do all these great things but if you don't have love it's like a clanging symbol it's nothing what's your love capacity for people your heart capacity to have compassion when you see people in need, is your thought, I, I, I can't help them. I got too much other stuff I got to do. You see yourself as the source of their funding instead of God being the source of the funding. You think God's supply is limited. I crack up all the time at ministries and churches who say, Well, we can't have you asking for money over here because, you know, we, need, we got this other project we're doing. That's ridiculous. Who is the source of all of it? Where's the heart compassion when you hear um, that there's a need? I got a call yesterday, and I'm just as guilty as anybody else. I, I got rebuked by my wife yesterday because I was struggling, and a guy called from one of the other SWAT groups, and this other guy's there, and he needs two months' rent. Or not two months. He, yeah, he's back two months' rent, and they're threatening to evict this guy. He, just, he lost his job not too long ago. So he needs $1,500. Da was calling. He needs $2,000 for a, a water truck. And, 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 and everybody has all these. And I just told Lori, man, I just I got all these hands wanting to come. And she said, isn't it a privilege to be a conduit of God to bless all these people? <laughs> I did. Because I'm just as guilty. Because the world starts making demands. And guys, can I just say that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And His, His supply is limitless. And He calls us to be a people of limitless faith. To, to, to look and see what the needs are 
and, and to expose people to the needs and trust God to provide the resources. And so he goes into this last story about feeding of the 4,000 and just a couple of quick comments about it. Because it shows a faith that's limitless. You know, he, he fed 5,000 for the Jewish people, 5,000 men. And some people say this is the same thing, just retold. It's not. One was in the north, one was in the south. One was, he told them, sit down on grass. The other one, he says, sit down on the ground, indicating like a hard ground. The grass would be in the springtime, but by the summer, which is about this time, the end of summer it was, the grass would have been burnt up. It would have been hard ground. One has five loaves, the other has seven loaves. One, they talk about the word for, and, and with the Jewish people, there was a Jewish term for basket. It meant like a little basket like this. But in this story, it's the big basket. It's a Greek term for basket. And it's the same kind of basket. The same term is used for Paul being let down from the wall. It's a big basket. One is 12 baskets left over. One is seven. Two different stories. But don't miss the point that God supplies. The disciples go, he, he goes, he says he had compassion. He wanted to feed them. And the disciples go, Lord, we're in a desolate place. They've been with me three days. These people have been here three days, Jesus said. They need to be fed. He had compassion. Listen, we think sometimes God doesn't care about the little details, the small stuff. I mean, there's bigger fish to fry than these people going a few days without food. But He cares. And He told the disciples, I don't want them to faint going home. I don't want them to fall out. He cares about the little details of your life. He cares and He wanted it. He was modeling for the disciples. Caring, giving them an opportunity to be involved. And He said, how many, how many fish do you have? I mean, how many loaves do you have? What kind of resources do you have? And they go, Lord, we only, we only have seven loaves and a few fish. Here's the thing. It says He fed them. And just like we see in Acts, what God is doing is He's saying to the people who are reading this through Matthew's pen that in the same way that God cares about the Jewish people, He cares about the Gentile people. Over here, He fed 5,000 Jews. Over here... We've had 4,000 Gentiles. He's saying the same thing he did in Acts when they said, we're seeing the same things happen. These people are filled with the Holy Spirit too. They're speaking in tongues too. When the Gentiles, when they came to faith in chapter 10 and 11 of Acts, the same thing happened to them happened they on Pentecost. Well, what Matthew's saying, he didn't want anybody going, well, God did this for the Jews but didn't do this for the Gentiles. He's saying that His resources are limitless and that as people of faith, our faith ought to be in a God who is limitless. And, and one of the things that I was, I was uh, thinking about yesterday is, you know what? When you give it all away, He becomes everything to you, right? When you give away all your bread, He becomes your bread. When you give your life away, He becomes your life. You have to look just to Him. He's the only one that can give you what you really need. 
But the question we have to wrestle with is when I see a need out there, am I selfish in believing that I have to conserve over here because I might not be able to take care of what I need to take care of here, or do I trust in a God who's limitless? That's, that's the question we all have to wrestle with. And, and I'll, I'll just be honest with you, it, it doesn't matter how many times you see God provide. Didn't, didn't the disciples see God feed 5,000 men just a, a few months earlier? Or maybe, I don't know if it was a few months or a few weeks. I think it was probably a few months probably like the springtime and now it's the summertime what did they forget surely they didn't forget you know they didn't forget but it's just human nature for us to not trust him it's human nature for us to look to our resources to control our resources so as we leave today i do want you to think about these questions how great is your faith where it's at right now and do you want god to grow it You've got to ask yourself that question. Do I want God to grow my faith? Second question, how's your compassion meter? How's your compassion? And finally, do you trust that God can do anything at any time? Do you really believe that? God desires for us to have a great faith, a compassionate faith, and a limitless faith. Uh, uh, David, will you close our time in prayer?